Psalm 119. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They follow his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, never abandon them. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Next readings from 1 Timothy, and it's all of chapter 1, which can be found on page 1090 of the Bibles. So 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach different doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have deviated from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience 
as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by them you may strongly engage in battle, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander are among them, and I have delivered them to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. God. It's good to see you this morning. Glad you found a park. It's a bit of a nightmare out there, isn't it? Okay, my voice holds out. We're in 1 Timothy. Uh, it's a great letter about the gospel of grace. Look at me, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, Paul said, this is a trustworthy, and this, is, this, this saying is trustworthy, it's reliable, it's deserving of full acceptance, believe this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that truth extraordinary? Uh, the reason for the incarnation was the crucifixion. The reason that God left the luxury of heaven is because he loved you, a sinner, he wanted to save you, a sinner. It's the most glorious gospel of grace, isn't it? You must never move on from this basic gospel truth that Christ Jesus left heaven to save sinners like you and I. Uh, John Newton was a man who understood this truth. Remember his testimony? Uh, he grew up with a believing mother who died aged when he was seven. He left to go and work on the ships and got involved in the slave trades. It was one night as the ship was crossing over the Atlantic and a, a massive storm hit and this massive wave overtook the ship and, and for the first time in his life, John Newton was afraid. He was afraid of death, he was afraid of drowning, but most of all, he was afraid of meeting the God that his mother had taught him about. So what do you do when you're afraid? You pray. John Newton got on his knees and he prayed. But John Newton said this, he said, I concluded that my sins were too great to be forgiven. And I waited with fear and impatience to receive my doom. And as he's on his knees, he's praying to God, he's thinking, I'm beyond salvation, I'm beyond forgiveness. And suddenly one word comes to mind, and it's the word grace. G-R-A-C-E, grace. And John Newton understood that no one was beyond forgiveness. And at that moment, John Newton gave his life to Christ. As he reached the shores of America, he is a forgiven sinner. And he spent the rest of his days worshipping his saviour. And he wrote this amazing song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, John Newton understood grace. 2,000 years ago, another man called Paul, the apostle, he understood the doctrine of grace. Do you see how Paul describes himself in verse 13? The apostle Paul says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an arrogant man. And, and do you think Paul is embellishing there? 
think Paul is one of those, you know those Christians who stand up to give their testimony and they kind of feel they have to exaggerate a bit to make their past look worse than it really was. That's not Paul, is it? When he uses the word persecutor, blasphemer, arrogant man, that's exactly what Paul was like. Paul has spent his whole life hunting down the Christians. He spent his whole life killing believers. Uh, he's described as breathing out murderous threats. He would travel hundreds of kilometers to find a church and to kill the believers. He's far from God. He's a pious, self-righteous, bigoted murderer. And yet this man met Jesus. The blasphemer became a believer. Remember the story on the Damascus Road as he's walking down the Damascus Road and this blinding light and suddenly a voice from heaven says, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's there on his knees before the risen Lord Jesus saying, Jesus, what do you want with me? And he gets up a changed man because he's understood grace. See what Paul says in verse 14? The grace of our Lord overflowed. Literally, there's a fountain of grace along with faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. That's how he describes his conversion. The grace of the Lord overflowed to him. Or if you're a, a lower North Shore person, it's like an infinity pool of grace. He just never stopped coming. Grace upon grace upon grace. See, Paul understood that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but do you? Do you base your whole life around that, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save you and to save the sinners out there? Uh, my story is in a, in a room in Oxford back in 1990, a proud, arrogant man called Paul Dale who thought he knew it all. I was quite a nice person, quite a good person, but I was proud was humbled by my saviour. I gave my life to Christ. See, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel of grace. You start with it, you never move on for it. Please never become bored of that gospel. I love this quote by Max Licardo. Our saviour kneels down and gazes upon the darkest acts of your life. But rather than recall in horror... He reaches out in kindness and says, I can clean that if you want. And from the basin of his grace, he scoops a palm full of mercy and he washes your sin. Isn't that beautiful? There is no sin too dark that cannot be washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I love singing that song. Tell you the song I love singing. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing your grace. I love singing about grace, but there's a line in that song that gets me every time. Here it is. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Because I know that's true of me. I've been a Christian for 24 years. But there's seasons when I'm close to God and seasons when I'm distant from God. Seasons when I'm delighting in God. Seasons where it's just very dry in my faith. 
And I've watched so many people that I know and love wander away from Christ. I've watched people leave the faith. I've watched people who sat in this church in those pews and sang these songs and read the Bible here, and today they're nowhere with Jesus. What happened? What caused them to wander? They moved away from Jesus. They took their eyes off Jesus. They slipped into law. They slipped into good works. They slipped into pride and arrogance. They think they didn't need Jesus anymore. They'd lost sight of the gospel of grace. That's what happens. And it's like when you're caught in a rip. One moment you're safe, and the next you're out the back. You're thinking, how did I get here? As a pastor, I'm thinking, how did those people get there? What happened? They wandered away from the gospel of grace. I'm prone to it, and you're prone to it. And we as a church are prone to it. It's not just personal, it's corporate. There's a church in Warwick where I grew up, and many years ago it was a thriving church with hundreds of people there. Today there's about 10 people. That church has just declined and decayed and died. Why? They got a minister who didn't preach the gospel of grace. Do you know that over 100 years ago, the Anglican evangelical bastion of Australia was not Sydney, it was Melbourne. But today, just a handful of evangelical churches down there because they've wandered away from the gospel of grace. Please don't think that we at Church by the Bridge are beyond this. God has been so kind to us, hasn't he? He's grown this church from a handful of people to 500 plus adults, 100 kids in the last 10 years. But you can lose the gospel of grace in just one generation. Please don't be naive about that. This church can decline as quickly as it increased if we start preaching law and not grace. That's the warning. And that was the danger for the church in Ephesus. They were prone to wander from the gospel of grace. That's what this letter is all about. Fight for truth. Fight for grace. Never shift away from grace. It's disastrous if you move away from that simple truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I don't know what you know about 1 Timothy. It's written to Timothy. Uh, Listen to how Timothy is described in Philippians chapter 2. Two, I think it's on the screen. Paul writes, I have no one like-minded who will genuinely care for the interests or seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know him, Timothy, his proven character. He served with me in a gospel ministry like a son with a father. He is a great leader. He is a great teacher. He's a faithful servant of Jesus. And he's been left in Ephesus, which is a thriving church. Let's think about that. You've got a, a great leader, a great pastor, a great preacher, a thriving church. What do you expect is going to happen? The church will thrive. But it doesn't. Do you know how Ephesus is described in the book of Revelation? What does Jesus say about the church in Ephesus? It's lost its first love. If you've ever been to Ephesus today, is there a church there? There's just a handful of little churches. It's died, it's decayed. What happened? You can have the best preacher in the world, but what happens is that you get these false teachers that come in, uh, come in amongst the people. Leaders, 
elders who teach anything but the gospel of grace. And before you know it, you've got a whole church that's wandered away from the faith. Please don't be naive. Please make sure that whatever is taught from the front, from your groups to our kids, is always teaching the gospel of grace. Let's dive into the letter, shall we? What's the problem? Look at verse 3. Paul says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, Timothy, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach different doctrine. Well, the word there is literally deviant doctrine, a, a doctrine that deviates from the truth of grace. You know, at the churches where you just very subtly undermine grace and you put your good works alongside it. You know the churches where you leave every single Sunday and you just feel that you've been beaten over the head and bashed and bruised, thinking, I'm totally inadequate, I can't do any of this. You feel a failure every week. Or the deviant doctrines where they start to deny that Jesus is the only way, or the deviant doctrines where they start to deny the authority of Scripture. Paul had warned the church in Ephesus before he left them it's on the screen, Acts chapter 20, he writes this to the church in Ephesus. Be on guard, this is to the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. You ever seen that happen? I have. Little groups within the church that you huddle together and you're reading the latest theological argument and you're persuaded by this and divisions and discussions and controversies and before you know it, you've wandered away from the gospel of grace. The latest trendy book that everybody is reading, but it doesn't preach grace, it preaches works. And before you know it, you've wandered. That's the problem, different doctrine, deviant doctrine. What does it look like, verse 4? Myths, genealogies, speculations, rumors. I love the word empty in verse 4. They promote empty speculations rather than God's plan. It's just this noise. You know those sermons where the preacher preaches for half an hour, you're thinking... What's he said? Well, nothing. Just empty. And I imagine in Ephesus, it went something like this. The, the elders, the teachers, they wanted to move on from, you know, the simple exegesis. Uh, the people perhaps saying to them, come on, just give us a, a new message. Make us feel good about ourselves. We want to leave church every week with some... Some, some top tips to lead a happy, healthy life this week. So just preach what we want to hear. And I imagine that the preachers thought, Let, let's do something more profound. Let's, let, let's just do some playing around with Scripture. Let's make it a bit more applicable. I've seen it happen again and again and again. So they've got the problem with their teaching. What, what's the other problem? Uh, look at verse 6 and 7. It's not just the teaching, it's the teachers. 
they have deviated away from the good conscience. They're not living the Christian life. They've deviated away from their sincere faith. And they've turned aside to fruitless discussions. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying. Isn't that damning? They, they want to be teachers, but they haven't got a clue what, what they're talking about. The word for want there is literally, they have a strong desire to be a teacher. That's always very dangerous in the church. When people want to be up front. When people long to be a teacher. Where people long to have that power that comes with teaching. The pride and power from upfront teaching is a very, very dangerous combination. When pride and power go hand in hand, that can lead to spiritual abuse and manipulation. You can just take a whole church off course. It's damning, isn't it, verse 7? They want to be teachers, but they haven't got a clue what they're talking about. They're amazing communicators, but they've got awful content. That's the problem, deviant doctrine. What's the consequences? It's deadly disaster. Look down to verse 19. Timothy says, Some have rejected the faith and rejected the good conscience and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. It's a picture of, of the, the boat hitting the rock. They ignored all the warnings, they ignored all the signals, and the boat's gone ashore, and now they're drowning. It's a dreadful phrase. They've shipwrecked their faith. They've rejected Jesus. How does it happen? One slight deviation. That's how it happens. Let's wake up. People don't just wander from the faith because of the pull of the world. People wander from their faith because they sit in church week in, week out, and they don't hear grace. They hear works. They hear law. They don't hear grace. They hear speculations, and they hear all this theology that has nothing to do with the Bible. I find that tragic, that people would give up their Sunday mornings to come and sit in church, and at the end of the end of Sunday morning, they're not led closer to Christ. They're led further away from Jesus. So if that's the problem, and if that's the prognosis, what's the prescription? Friends, we're called to fight. We're called to fight for this glorious gospel of grace. I want to imagine that you are you're walking home this afternoon and you see this garden and this garden is totally utterly overgrown with weeds and in the midst of the garden you can just about see through the weeds and there's just one or two of the most glorious majestic beautiful flowers and your mind kind of goes I imagine that not long ago it was just beautiful and glorious and now it's just ugly and overgrown. Now what are you going to do with that garden? How are you going to see those glorious flowers again? You don't just ignore it. You don't just sweep it under the, under the carpet. You don't let other people do it. Get on your hands and knees. Get your hands dirty. Pull up the weeds. Do the hard work. Get rid of the mess so people can see the glorious flowers again. It's like in your own house. 
If you see cracks appearing in your house, if you see dry rot in your house, you don't ignore it, do you? If you do ignore it, what happens? Over the years, it becomes this derelict mess. You actually treat it, you deal with it. That's the same with deviant doctrine in the church. You cannot ignore it. It's hard work. But if we let it fester, we'll end up being a, church, a club of self-righteous, religious, proud, pitiful people. So how do you get back on track? Well, look at verses 14 and 15. The grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus. This is the saying that's trustworthy. This is not speculation. This is not empty. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Make sure that you preach grace. Make sure that you live grace. Now, how that's, how's that going to happen? How do you spot a church that is preaching grace? There's two ways. One is the way that they teach the Bible. One is the way that they, they use the law. See what Paul says about the law back in verse 8? The law isn't bad, it's good, provided you use it rightly. The law is not meant, verse 9, for the righteous person. He's, he's saying there, uh, the Bible is not meant for the self-righteous person to read it and go, yes, I've done that, yes, I've done that, yes, I've done that, yes, I've done that. How good am I? The Bible is meant for the lawless and the rebels and the ungodly and the sinful and the unholy and the irreverent and for all that other rest of that list. The whole point is you're supposed to read God's, supposed to read God's command and go, ouch, 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 I can't do this. We're not supposed to read the Bible and feel good about ourselves. We're supposed to read the Bible and, and fling to Jesus and go, Wow, isn't Jesus amazing because I am so bad? You're not supposed to read the Bible and think, I am wonderful. You're supposed to read the Bible and think, God is amazing. See, when you read the Bible, it reveals the depth of your sin. When you read the Bible, it reveals the breadth of your sin. When you read the Bible, it shows you that nobody is beyond salvation. So make sure that when you read the Bible, you're going, I need Jesus. And the second way is that you don't preach law, you preach grace. So, so what did Paul need? A blasphemer, verse 13, a persecutor, an arrogant. What did he need? He didn't need justice, did he? He needed mercy. Remember the, the story of the rich, wealthy lady who's having her portrait painted and she's there in all her finest with her, her best hat on and she's got the, the artist there, the painter is there and she utters the word, make sure that you do me justice. But the sad thing is she's quite an ugly lady. And the painter says, it's not justice you need, madam, it's, it's mercy. Please don't think that you need God's justice. You need God's mercy. You need mercy. I need mercy. You need grace. I need grace. And see the truth of verse 14. The grace of our Lord is like a fountain. It never stops flowing. You're saved by grace. You live by grace. You never move on from grace. I love the story of the art exhibition and 
Someone's painted a picture of the Niagara Falls. Ever been to Niagara Falls? It's deafening, which is all this water flowing. And each painting is supposed to have a, a title, but the artist has not given it a title. And so the, the art uh, exhibitors give it a title. This is the title they give it. I love it. The picture of Niagara Falls, it's called More to Follow. More to Follow. Isn't that true of God's grace? There's always more to follow. Grace upon grace upon grace. Overflowing grace. I need it and you need it. You never move on from it. So how do you spot a church that is built on grace and not works? I'll tell you how you spot it. They preach the, the, the law rightly, they preach grace correctly, but you can tell by the people. The people aren't these proud, self-righteous people. The people are just self-aware. See how Paul describes himself in verse 15? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the, the worst of them. He's saying, if there was a league table, I'd put myself at the bottom. Not false humility, it's just that right self-evaluation. Now, when you evaluate yourself against the perfect God, we are the worst of sinners. Now, I can put on my facade every single Sunday. I can say all the right things. I can be nice to you. And you don't see into my brain. You don't see what I think. You don't see what I do. I'm, thinking that I'm sitting there going, Lord, I am the worst of sinners. If, 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 if God can save me, he can save you. And that's what the gospel of grace does. It makes you evaluate yourself correctly. It's not this low self-esteem. It's just a correct evaluation. And I love the fact in verse 15, he doesn't say, I was the worst of sinners. What did he say? I am the worst of them. That's what happens, isn't it, when you really follow Jesus? The longer you go on as a believer, the more you're aware that you need God's grace. So you can spot a church preaching grace because there's no proud peacocks strutting around the church as though they own the place. There's nobody in church who thinks they're better than other people. I'm saved by grace, you're saved by grace. What does that make us? It makes us equals, doesn't it? And you can spot a church that's preaching grace because their language, their speech, what comes out of their lips is not about themselves, it's about the Lord Jesus. You see how Paul finishes his testimony? Verse 17. Paul doesn't say, now, to me, the Apostle Paul, who is amazing, to me, the Apostle Paul, who is brilliant, to the church planter extraordinaire be the glory. He says, to Jesus, to King Jesus, to the Jesus of grace, to Jesus eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that what we want to be like a church that is honoring and praising Jesus, not puffing up ourselves? How are you going to do that? Stick with grace. Don't shift to law. Let me finish with two words. A word for leaders. If you're a leader here this morning, if you're a teacher in any capacity, a preacher, a hive leader, a kids' church leader, a missionary. 
How are you going to keep living the gospel of grace? Well, watch your own walk with Jesus. Paul said that to Timothy in verse 18. Verse 19, having a, a faith and a good conscience. Make sure that your faith is strong. Make sure you're living the Christian life. Remember, your people's greatest need is your holiness. And you as a leader, you as a teacher are responsible to correct deviant doctrine. To correct it. You can't sit in silence and to preach the gospel of grace. That's my word for leaders. Watch your own walk with Jesus and be willing to correct. And my word for all of us, for every man, woman, boy and girl in this church, what's my word for you? Please be very, very, very discerning. Be discerning about what you read, who you listen to, who you podcast. Turn on your brain. Just because somebody has got a title or a reputation doesn't mean they're teaching the truth. Always think as you're listening, is this leading me closer to Jesus? Is this glorifying Jesus? Is this showing me grace upon grace upon grace? Please don't put yourself under false teaching. It is not a neutral thing. Your heart is prone to wander and so is mine. Please make sure that you're listening to grace-filled preaching. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We never tire of that, do we? You never tire of grace, do you? I'll ask you, why did Christ Jesus come? Christ Jesus came into the world to, to save sinners. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this amazing truth. That Jesus left the luxuries of heaven. He left his Father's side because he loved us. He saw us. He wanted to show us mercy, grace, and patience. Forgive us, Father, for times where we find that truth mundane or dull or boring. Forgive us as a church for times when we don't preach grace, but we preach law. Forgive us for that, please. We pray for your hand of protection upon this church that you would keep us from wandering, that you would keep us from deviant doctrine. And we pray for churches around uh, Australia, around the world that have deviated, and we ask, Lord, in your kindness, that you would bring them back to the truth, that you would bring them back to grace. And we pray for people who once sat here, who have wandered, and ask, Lord, that in your good and perfect timing, that you would show grace to them again and bring them home. In Jesus' name, amen.